Today, we're going to start a new sermon series. How many of you guys enjoyed our sermon series that we were on last, last month from pew sitters to pillars? I mean, I really feel like God challenged us, that there was some spiritual growth that took place. But I'm super stoked about this new sermon series. This new sermon series is called Bulletproof. And I'm telling you, God is going to do some things through this. This series is on the full armor of God. Now, the full armor of God, if you have been a Christian for some time, it's probably something you've heard of before because it's something, um, it, it's, it's kind of like the fruit of the spirit or, or the love chapter. It's something that, that we like to talk about in the church. So it's something that has been preached a lot. But at the same time, I still think it's something that we don't really have the deepest understanding as we should because it's something that we let down sometimes. Sometimes we go out and we, forgot to, we forget to put on our full armor of God. And so we're going to take this next um, seven weeks, and we're really going to talk about spiritual warfare and what it means. And so the reason the, the Lord kind of dropped this name Bulletproof on me, and when I looked up Bulletproof, I had like three different kind of um, pictures in my mind. The first one was of like Bulletproof glass, and that's like impenetrable to bullets. You see that like um, on those, you know, cool movie star people, rappers or something, they got like really cool cars, and, and they're driving with their, you know, cars, and they got their Bulletproof uh, glass. And then the next thing that we have is the bulletproof vest. Now, I see cops back in the day, they wore the cool little hats and the blue suits. And now, man, they look like they're just like coming out the, like off the military or something. I mean, they come deep with their bulletproof vest. If you've lived in the hood as long as I have, you've seen the SWAT team one time or two. And they're always coming with their bulletproof vest, okay, on. And so I, when I think of bulletproof, I think of, I picture the bulletproof best. You know, it's designed to resist the penetration of bullets. You got to have that when you're going into a drug house or, or whatever, you know, the military's doing. They're going in, into a rescue mission. You got to protect yourself with the bulletproof vest. And then when I think of bulletproof, my favorite picture, I'm a child of the 80s, is Superman. I mean, who doesn't love Superman? I know the millennials, haters anyway, but everybody else love you millennials. We, we do. We love you. But everybody else loves Superman. He's invincible. You know, if a bullet goes on him, bing, 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 bing. Batman can't do that unless he has like all this cool armor. I mean, there's no superhero. Good. Bing, 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 bing. I mean, even the, the X-Man guy with the, you know, claws or whatever. What's his name? Wolverine. Yeah. I mean, he can take a bullet, but it goes and knocks him out for a minute before it pops out and his skin grows back and all that weird stuff. But Superman, I mean, he's just a hunk of an alien man who comes out. Come on. Every little girl in the 80s thought that, and he just bing. I mean, it doesn't do anything, just bing, bing, bing. And so when I think of bulletproof, I think of Superman. And then I start thinking spiritually. God made us bulletproof. He gave us an opportunity to be bulletproof called the full armor of God. When we actually put on the full armor of God, we can, we, we can resist the flaming arrows of the enemy. When we have the full armor of God, we're invincible against the enemy. But we've got to have it on every single piece. And so we're going to break down this next seven weeks every single piece. But before we get into that, I felt like the Lord wanted me to give an introduction to spiritual warfare. But because a lot of times we go right into every single piece and we start studying the piece, but we don't even really understand what spiritual warfare means. And friends, spiritual warfare is real. There is a heavenly realm that we cannot see with 
uh, with our eyes. It is an invisible realm, and, and, and every once in a while, God will open someone's eyes to see. And I'm telling you, there are demonic attacks that come against the church. Now, when I really got on fire for God, I grew up in church, went through a little, you know, uh, a bit of a back and forth kind of in my teenage years like a lot of teenagers do. And then about 18, 19 years old, I sold out to God. And it was at, at the mid to late 90s there, there was a movement that came through the church um, where where it, it was really like a revival that took place. That's when R Brownsville revival was going on down in Florida, and there was a revival going on up in Canada. And God was just really moving on people. And people started getting this understanding of spiritual warfare. And, and there were um, a lot of demonic manifestations at, at that time. And I'm grateful that I got saved during that time because now what I see in the church is we just kind of ignore it. We ignore that there is a spiritual realm. We ignore that there are demonic beings that want to attack us and kill us. Now, see, when in the in the late '90s, when when like my husband and I got on fire for God, pastors would get up there and preach, "The higher the level, the bigger the devil." I mean, we would know that there was an attack after us. And, and just because we're Christian doesn't mean that that is not going to happen. And so, friends, I want to break down to you spiritual warfare, and I'm calling it today spiritual warfare 101. Don't worry, we're not going too deep. I'm not going to freak you out just yet. Week seven, we're going to go deeper, okay? But right now, it's just spiritual warfare 101. And we're going to read in Ephesians where the full armor of God is. We're going to read just the first three verses here on the full armor of God. And it starts in verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on your full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. I highly encourage you guys to memorize these scriptures. I'm telling, and not just memorize them, memorize them and meditate on them. And so we're going to break down this, this little passage here, and we're going to break down spiritual warfare 101. The first point in spiritual warfare 101 is spiritual warfare is real. Say real. It's real. It really happens. There really are heavenly places. There really are attacks um, that come against the church. See, I, I, I found this picture uh, that, I, that I really thought was good here. It says, the Christian warrior. The Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. Friends, a lot of times now when we're getting saved and, and the movement that's going on in the church today, we look at the Christian life and we kind of act like we're just adding that into our, our we're, we're just adding it to what's already going on in our life. We look at it as more of a playground experience. We come and we have fun on church for an hour and a half on Sunday mornings, and then we just go live about our business. And, and we ignore um, the, the spiritual realm and that there is a real enemy and there's a, a real attack against our lives and that there's a real war for our soul. But friends, we have got to realize that when we become born again, when we are saved and we give our hearts to the Lord, they're, they're, it, we are signing up for the Lord's army. We are now Christian soldiers. It's not just a playground experience, friends. It's a battleground, and we got to be serious. we got to start to understand that spiritual warfare is real. See, the book of Ephesians, I love the book of Ephesians. It's one of my favorite. It may be actually my favorite epistle that, that 
Paul wrote that in Philippians. And the book of Ephesians, some scholars believe that it is the richest um, theological book um, as far as an epistle that, that Paul wrote. I mean, even uh, some, some believe even deeper than the book of Romans, which is his, his longest. But he talks about so many um, deep uh, theological issues and practical truths that's in this book. But he saves the very best for the end. And we notice this when he starts off with finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. See, Paul concludes this book of Ephesians because this is in the very last chapter with finally. So basically, he is saying, in conclusion, I have saved the most important issue of the epistle until the end of the letter. So if you remember nothing I have said, you remember this. I want this to stand out in your mind. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. That's how he starts off the first, uh, the, the first part of the full armor of God, to be strong in the Lord. See, we just finished this series on, on pillars or pew sitters to pillars because God wants us to realize that he doesn't want us just to be babies forever. He wants us to be strong in the Lord. He doesn't want us to be weak-willed Christians who fall for every trick and deception of the enemy. He doesn't want us to be Christians who do not know the word, who do not know their authority, who do not know who they are in Christ, who are in this identity crisis, who have no idea how to stand their ground. He wants us to be strong. And matter of fact, he says, be strong in the Lord. See, the Greek word for strong here is in, 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 oh, no, I practiced this yesterday. Um, <laughs> and dunamo, we'll call it that. The word in means, the E-N means in, I-N. The word dunamis, I can say that one because every Pentecostal knows how to say that one. It means explosive strength, ability, and power is where we get the word dynamite. So you put these two uh, little Greek words together, it's pretty awesome. It, it means that we have this explosive dynamite power that lives inside of us, that's given to us by God. That's how we're able to be strong, friends. It's the same, it's the same word that where it says in Acts 1-8, but they will receive power when they wait on the Lord. They will receive power it's dunamis, and this word has the word dunamis in it with the word E-N in front of it, which means the dunamis power is inside of us, friends. That we have, the reason we can be strong is because we have power inside of us. That's why we can be strong. See, oftentimes, because we don't realize that there is a real spiritual warfare, there's a real spiritual realm, we are trying to be strong in just the flesh, and Paul says elsewhere in, the, in, in his epistles that uh, do not put any confidence in the flesh, but put the, your confidence in the Lord. Instead of trying to, oh, I'm going to try so hard to be a good Christian and I'm going to work really, 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 really hard at this and, and try to do it all in my own strength and in my, in my flesh. I'm going to make sure that I wake up at this time and I read the Bible at this time and I dedicate this amount of time and I'm never going to miss church service and I'm going to work, 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 and I'm going to volunteer and I'm going to do all these things and I'm going to be the really, really good Christian. I'm going to work really, really hard. That we don't, we're trying to have strength in our own flesh instead of strength in the Lord. Instead of knowing that the power that we need is in us because he puts it in us. And it's this reliance that we have to have in the Lord. That's spiritual warfare 101 right there, friends. 
Spiritual warfare is real. And if you want to be strong, the only way you're going to be strong is in the Lord. So much so that Paul said that when he was weak, he was strong. That doesn't make sense, friends. When he is weak, then he's really strong. How does that make sense? It doesn't make sense when you're thinking of it from a, uh, from a logical standpoint. Because what it is, is he's saying is, is when I can't do it, then I know I have to rely even more on God, and God can do it. So when I am weak, I am strong. So when, it, when he says, be strong in the Lord, he's not saying, man, you got to do this all on your own, friends. No, it's in the Lord. Friends, we have to understand that spiritual warfare is real, and we, have to, we must understand to win this war that we are in, we have to be in Christ. That's where our power comes from, being in Christ. Jesus needs to become our realm of existence and the place of our habitation, friends. Just like we have a physical address, I live at 946 Prouty Street. I teach all my kids that, especially when they're going into kindergarten, right? They've got, a, between the ages of three and five, you're, you're drilling your address and your kids. They've got to learn their address, where they live. Friends, we've got to realize that we have an address in the spiritually realms just like we have an address here on earth. And our address in the heavenly realms is in Christ. That's where we have to live, in Christ. If you want to understand that spiritual warfare is real, you cannot defeat the enemy by yourself. When Daniel was in spiritual warfare and he was praying and fasting for 21 days, friends, in the Old Testament, the Bible said, the angel came to him and said that God released his answer to his prayer the first time he prayed it, immediately. But for 21 days, there was a war in the heavenlies. And Michael, the archangel, had to rebuke Satan, friends. We had to understand that, that sometimes in our waiting, sometimes there's a warfare that's taking place. And we've got to stay in Christ because we cannot do this by ourselves. The Lord rebuke you. That's what we got to remember. It's not about us. It's about being in Jesus. We are not strong enough to take on the devil. Are you kidding me? He's been doing this way longer than we've even been a twinkle in our mama's eye. We need to be in Christ. So, friends, I have good news for you. If you're feeling that you need extra strength today, open your hearts right now and allow God to give you a fresh infilling of his explosive power. Holy Spirit power. That's how we are strong. When we are weak, we are strong because we're in Christ. Amen? If we would just get this one part, the spiritual warfare is real and we have to be in Christ to be strong. Be strong in the Lord. Have the dunamis power, but it's only in Christ. That's going to take us a long way. Spiritual Warfare 101, I said we're not going to go too deep, but we're going to lay a foundation that's going to carry us this next six weeks. The next point, Spiritual Warfare 101, is Spiritual Warfare has a residence. Now, I told you our residence, our residence is what? In? Anyone besides Pastor Josh? See, that's why I preach better when he's in the front row. Our residence is in? In Christ. But we have to realize there's a residence that the war, the battleground takes place. And that the, the where the enemy wants to attack us. We must understand spiritual warfare mostly resides in our mind. It mostly resides in our mind. 
again, in the, in the uh, late 90s when we first got on fire for the Lord, I loved me some Joyce Myers. She was the first female preacher I ever saw. I thought, oh, I love this lady. She was feisty and funny, and I just thought she was the greatest. And so I got my hands on every book that she, she had back then. And I remember reading The Battlefield of the Mind. Man, classic. I don't even know if she's been able to write one better than that. I mean, it was just classic. Good book there. And, and, and realizing early on that if I am going to live a successful, prosperous Christian life, that I've got to understand that the enemy is going to try to attack my mind. We got all kinds of people, and I'm not saying that we never, that there's never a case that people need um, have chemical imbalance. I think just like the heart gets sick, sometimes your brain can get sick, and you may need to take medication. But a lot of times, people are doped up on antidepressant and, and anxiety medicine because they are allowing the enemy to attack their mind, and they have not learned that spiritual warfare takes place in the mind, and they've got to realize that so they can have freedom. I'm talking about Christians, brothers and sisters. I'm not talking about worldly people. Worldly people are going to do what worldly people are going to do. I'm talking about Christian brothers and sisters who don't know how to take authority in their mind. And so we've got to realize that the enemy is after your mind. He wants you to literally lose your mind. He really does. He really does. The reason spiritual warfare resides in the mind is because the mind is the control center of your life. See, the enemy, if he can poison your mind, he can also manipulate your emotions. He can manipulate your body. He can manipulate your feelings. Friends, if he poisons our mind, he can get a hold of every other part of our life. And so we got to realize how important it is to have, as the Bible says, the mind of Christ. See, there's no doubt that the mind is the strategic residence where the battle is either won or lost. The reason we need to be dressed head to toe in the full armor of God, which we're going to be reading in the next six weeks, that the, the armor is head to toe. It's because we have to be clothed so that we can stand against the devil's attacks. And it starts, friends, with understanding that he's going to attack your mind. The enemy only has one weapon. It's lies and deception. That's his weapon. And he is so good at it. Matter of fact, the Bible says that it, it is his native language. That he is the father of lies and it is his native language. That is the language he speaks. We speak English. My neighbors next door speak Spanish. We weren't able to communicate for the first five years of them living there because they only spoke Spanish and we only spoke English. Let me tell you what happens when there's a mistranslation and stuff. You get things mixed up. So they came, and we, being the friendly people that, that we are, I mean, we bring the neighbor back into the, to the hood. You know, that's how we work. And so they come in. I come over, you know, five years ago with a plate of cookies. I'm trying to uh, befriend them. And so we're talking, and they get these, this dog. This dog loves us. We love this dog. We're not going to get a pet. I got too much to do to be taking care of pets and cleaning up poop, okay? We had a fish. It lasted two weeks here recently. My daughter was devastated when it passed away. We had a theological discussion about that, and it was not my best mom moment. <laughs> so, so we love the dog next door because that's the closest thing to a pet as my kids get, right? And so mistranslation in, in, in language. Their native language is Spanish. Ours is English. We're trying to talk to them. I'm talking to them about this dog. This dog, I literally thought this dog jumped the fence, and it's just this little, I mean, it's 
Not to be stereotypical, but it's a stereotypical dog that belongs to a Mexican family, okay? It's just this little, little barky, loud little dog, but it has long hair. It's not quite a chihuahua, but it has long hair. I don't know what this mixed breed is, but it's the cutest little thing. And it hops, man, when it sees it. It's like half bunny or something. And I used to think it would hop over the fence because it always ended up in our yard. And then I realized it wasn't hopping over the fence because it always would be jumping everywhere. I'm like, how can it hop over our fence? I realized it was digging holes underneath the fence and it somehow always, and the kids loved it when it did it. You know, it would, sometimes it got in our house one time. I'm telling you, it was like, it got all, our garage door was open, it went through the garage, it was in the house. They're like, and, and so we tried to find out what the dog's name is. And so we were asking them, and we're trying to talk to them, and they're trying to talk to us. Neither one of us understand what we're saying, but we're like, you know, woof, woof, you know, points to the dog, like, what's the dog's name? And from our understanding, from the conversation that we had with the man, he told us the name was Pizza. So we called this dog Pizza. We thought that's a cool name. We called him Pizza for months until the, okay, years. Until the, 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 the owner, the, the husband, heard us call him Pizza, and he's laughing at us and saying, you know, words that probably mean dumb white people or whatever. I'm not really sure. And he's like, not Pizza, Pizza. Pizza. So we corrected ourselves because that's what you're supposed to do. And so we start calling the dog Pizza for years. Well, their kids are now uh, uh, eight and five years old, and they've been going to school so they can speak English, so they're helping us out a lot. So they have started coming over a lot this summer. Um, and the little, the little girls came over, and we start talking, and then all of a sudden um, we're trying to learn their names, and I'm telling you their names are so native Spanish that we cannot even say their names it, it's hard, seriously. So they said, they, they probably said in their whatever, dumb white people again, and they taught us their nicknames. Ma, Mata is the uh, older girl, and the younger girl's nickname is Pizza. The dog's name was never Pizza. It was never Pizza. The dog's name was Cheese Pox. <laughs> Mistranslation. Okay? It was not translated right. We never got the information correctly, so we've been living for five years with calling the dog the daughter's name. It's terrible. I look back, and I'm pointing to the dog, and I remember pointing to the dog, oh, and he thought I was pointing to the baby that was in the baby car seat right next to him. So he was trying to tell me his daughter's name, and I thought he was telling me his dog's name, friends. My kids are like, we can never let them know that. That's so bad. And we, I'm telling you, my children and I laughed so hard. But then I got to thinking, wow, we listen so much to the native language of the enemy in our mind, the lies of the devil, that when God comes with his native language truth, we, it, we get a mistranslation. And we start believing the lies of the enemy so much that it becomes uh, that place of residence in our mind that, 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 that he begins to live because we listen to his lies so much that we begin to adopt his language. And then there's mistranslation that's happening all the time. We hear God's word and we hear the truth and we think, well, I don't know. That's not what I was brought up believing. Or that just, you know, that doesn't make sense to me. And we fall into deception, friends. And that's where the attacks happen. See, the enemy only has one weapon, lies and deception. That's why the devil goes after a person's mind. 2 Corinthians 2.11 teaches us this. In order that Satan may not 
outwit us, we are not unaware of his schemes. See, the Greek word for schemes is no matter. I like to look at it as no matter what. It describes the mind or intellect. Paul is saying we are not ignorant against what the way Satan thinks. But friends, too many of us are ignorant against the way he thinks now. See, the enemy wants to get into your mind and fill you with lying emotions, false perceptions, doubts, and confusion. He wants to get into your mind, and he wants to confuse you, bring doubts, bring lying emotions, mess up your feelings, get you all twisted up on the inside. But the Bible says that we have weapons that can defeat that. See, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And those strongholds are set up in our mind most of the time, friends. We demolish what? Arguments. Where does that usually take place? In our mind. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every what? Thought. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Friends, you do not want to fall into the deception of the enemy. And so, therefore, if you don't want to fall into it, we have got to guard our mind. See, the Bible talks about guarding our heart, and we need to do that because that's our emotions. But if you want to guard your heart, you got to start guarding your mind. You got to be careful what you listen to. You got to be careful the, the things that you entertain. You got to be careful what you're watching. I'm telling you, there's a spiritual realm out there, and it wants to implant the enemy's thoughts into your mind to make you think they're your thoughts. And we've got to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Do not allow the enemy to deceive you in your mind. We've got to guard our mind. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be bought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You want to defeat the enemy? You want to not listen to his native language anymore? Then you've got to get yourself familiar with the language of heaven. You've got to get yourself familiar and with the truth of God's word. And listen, he gives us, uh, he gives us his word. That's his voice, friends. Get into the Bible and understand that that is going to be your weapon against the enemy. And that's going to help you have the mind of Christ. So spiritual warfare 101. Number one, spiritual warfare is you remember? It's real. Number two, spiritual warfare has a what? A residence. And number three, spiritual warfare has a real rival. A real rival. A real enemy. See, it says the struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of the heavenly Realms. Friends, I don't even have time today because I said this is 101, not 201 or 301, to get into the fact that the enemy has demons that are working for him, and, it's, and he is so organized. He's been doing this for such a long time that they're, they're literally in ranks like you would an organized army. Um, you think that America has the greatest military force in all the world? Eh, wrong. The enemy does. In, in this world, but not in the heavenlies. Because we have God, and greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. But, friends, we need to be wise against the enemy's schemes, and we need to understand. See, the enemy deceives us in our mind that we think that our battle is against flesh and blood instead of against the enemy. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be alert and, sober, and of a sober, again, what? 
mind. See, this is not the same thing that I just read to you in, in 1 Peter 1.13. This is 1 Peter 5.8. Again, it talks about having a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The enemy is invisible, friends, but he is real. The devil is real. Now, Jubilee here recently has really had it on her heart um, to minister to our neighbors. And so there's, there's quite a few girls that are living on the block that she's coming over. And just the other day, probably, I don't know, maybe a, a week ago, she um, was outside playing with the little girls on the trampoline. Me, my husband, and the boys were inside watching Karate Kid. It was pretty awesome. And, um, <laughs> and she comes running in. And now, when you're in the middle of a classic, you usually don't, like, pause it to listen to your kids. Let's just be real, okay? Like, this is a classic. Like, tell me later. But she was so excited. She had this joy of the Lord on her face that we actually paused the Karate Kid, first time we've watched it in years, to listen to what she had to say. And I'm so glad I did because she said, Mom, I just led three girls to the Lord. And she starts, yeah, it was pretty awesome. And she started telling me what she was doing and how she was talking to him. She said, Mom, you, you know, um, we just start talking and having a conversation. They start asking me questions, and I start explaining to them what I believe. And she said, I start telling them, you know, that God has a plan and purpose for their life. And, and I was talking to them about things, and I said, but you got to be careful because the devil does too. And, Mom, they heard the name of Jesus before, but they never knew and never heard of the devil. She said, Mom, they didn't know that there's a real devil, there's Satan that, that wants to attack them and take them out. She said, so I started telling them about the devil, and I started telling them how, how we need Jesus so that we can protect ourselves against the enemy. And she said, she, said she started praying with them. She said they, they decided they want to accept Jesus into their heart. She said, one little girl said, well, what if my mom and dad get mad? And she said, mom, that question tripped me up. I really didn't know how to answer that. What do you, why would your mom and dad get mad? But then I thought, I've heard you guys say before that Jesus has to be the most important, even more important than anything that even our mom and dad would think. And so I told them that. I said, I said, baby girl, you laid out the gospel better than some adults do. <laughs> and she said, mom, it was so awesome. She said, one little girl was crying and two others had tears in their eyes. She said, so I decided I'm going to go upstairs and get my iPad and I'm going to bring it down and we're going to worship. And so she got her iPad, she brought it down, and she, she put some worship music on it. And she said, and I wanted to let them know, you need to be careful what you listen to. So I recommended to them K-Love and Yes FM. <laughs> and so I'm not going to lie, I was a little nervous, especially when the one little girl said, what if my mom and dad get mad? I thought, oh, I might be having some parents come over. But it hasn't happened yet. The little girls are coming over every single day, and Jubilee's discipling them. I'm telling you, friends, if a little girl can do it, we can do it. We can do it. But I thought what, what was so unique there is she said they did not know that there was a Satan. I thought, you know what? The church doesn't even know that there's a Satan anymore. I mean, there's, there's a, a, a false doctrine that's going around the church called universalism that literally believes that there's no hell and there's no devil. If that is the truth, why would God Almighty send his son Jesus to die on the cross if he wasn't rescuing us from hell and damnation? There surely could have been an easier way. Friends, we've got to be careful not to be deceived. We've got to be careful. There is a real enemy, and he goes by many names in the Bible. And I, again, this is 
spiritual 101, not 201 or 301, because I would love to break down. He's called Satan. He's called Lucifer. He's called old Slewfoot. He's the old serpent. He's the, I mean, he's the morning star. I mean, he's, he's the deceiver, the father of lies. There's so many descriptions of the enemy and how he works, friends. We've, we, we've got to be aware of the enemy's schemes. We must understand we're in a real fight. The NIV says struggle against flesh and blood, but the old translation of the King James, it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So the Greek word for that is pale A, and it signifies a contest or a fight between opponents raged in close hand-to-hand combat with the goal of pinning down and defeating the challenger. Now, I got boys, and they love to wrestle. They've been doing this karate kid thing every day in the back room. They're driving me nuts. My little one, you know, I call him my sons of thunder, and he will do anything. He, would, he, wants to, he just learned how to ride his bike yesterday. He was mad as, as hornets because as soon as he learned, he wanted to go up this big hill that the other kids were going on. That's a grassy hill that they ride their bikes down, and he just learned how to ride, and he was mad. We wanted them to go up that big hill and ride it down. I'm like, you got to learn how to steer a little bit better. You, you know, like, we got to get a couple things down first. But this is how he is. So they're in the back room, and they're wrestling, and they're fighting, and now they think they're karate kids. And so uh, Jordan's taking on the position of Mr. Miyagi, and, and Justice is the young karate kid. And, and, and he's going, yeah, yeah, you know, Jordan, Jordan is. And, and Justice is going, ha, 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 ha. And I'm like, he's teaching them because Justice wasn't allowed to watch the movie yet because it's PG, uh, you know, 13. And so uh, we, 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 we made Jordan close his eyes a couple times. But, you know, we let him watch the movie. He's a little older. He's nine. And so he, he's like, ha, ha. And he's teaching them all these wrestling things. I can't get away from wrestling in my house with three boys. They'll wrestle over who's going to go get mama water. Now, if it's just one of them and I ask them to go get me a water, mm-mm. Two of them, they're, they're, they're going to go fight to get me a water, and they're going to wrestle all the way up the stairs or wherever I'm at to give me the water. So there's wrestling that's going on all the time, fighting that's going on all the time. So it's, it makes me think of where it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. A lot of times there's things that make us feel pinned down in our life. There's a lot of times there's, there's, there's things in the workplace that make us feel pinned down. There's things in our family that makes us feel like the opponent has got us pinned down and we just can't, we can't overcome. We can't, we can't get up. Have you ever felt maybe in your finances, like no matter what you do, you can't make a come up? <laughs> like I got a raise, but I can't tell yet. Like, you know what I mean? I can't make a come up, you know? Or, or in your marriage, it's like I had a good day, but I, I can't have a good week, you know? And you always feel like you're being pinned down by something. And oftentimes we, we, we look with our natural eyes and we blame it on flesh and blood. When Pastor Josh and I got married, I've shared this story before. I'm going to share it again. We first got married. We fought all the time. Both oldest children, both alphas, both strong-willed. We fought over everything. Window up, window down. Air conditioning on. Air. Every once in a while, that window up, window down still gets us. I'm like, my hair does not, I don't wake up like this, okay? I know I got a shirt that says that, but it's a lie. You know, I worked on this. You got to keep the window up. I know you got a new truck, but keep it up. Put the air on, you know? We still sometimes fight over silly stuff, but we used to always fight over stupid things. And one time the Lord told me, like, it's like, he, like I heard his voice so clearly. He said, you need to fight not to fight. It was the only way I guess I could understand because I was such a, I just wanted to win. I wanted to fight and win these arguments so bad that he had to tell me, fight not to fight. And, and he had to tell me that I had to work on me. And not him, because I used to pray, and my prayers used to go something like this. Oh, dear God, please get your son. 
Teach him how to be a better husband to me. Teach him that I have feelings, Lord. Make him do this. He needs to step up around this little apartment that we have. He's got to help me out more. And, and I used to pray, and it was more of complaining to God about my husband. And, and God told me, you got to fight not to fight. And then he said, you've got to work on you. And, he, and years ago, <laughs> thank you, Lord. Years ago, the Lord showed me, and I like to teach this especially to women because I think this is a, a thing that women deal with. Is, it's called control. We like to control our children. We like to control our husbands. We like to be in control. And the Lord showed me there's only one place in the Bible where control is a good thing. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's called self-control, and even that is the fruit of the Spirit. You still need the Spirit for self-control. Any other control, Joy, is witchcraft. And so I had to realize when I wanted to be mad at my husband thinking he wasn't stepping up and doing everything I thought he ought, he wasn't, he wasn't filling my laundry list. And I just have high expectations, so I had a pretty big list. I had to realize it wasn't my husband, it was not my enemy. The devil is my enemy. And he wants my eyes off of him and off the real war and on this. And so when I start saying, God, change me, check me, show me in my heart what I can do, things started changing. I, when I started approving my behavior, guess what? The, the whole attitude in the house started changing. And it doesn't mean that I don't have my times. Usually it's not so much with my husband. Now it's with my kids. <laughs> They've taken over and now irk my nerves more than anyone, right? And so I have to learn again, though, my battle is not with my teenage son that wants to act like he is husband number two. I'm like, sometimes I'm like, I can't wait till he grows up and get his own wife because I am not his wife. He needs to stop treating me like I am. <laughs> I disciplined one of my kids the other day and he thought it was too harsh and he told me so. I said, you can't tell me how to parent, boy. You don't have to, you're still a child. You know, I've got to learn. Though, I will check my child when I need to be, but my battle is not against my family. My battle is not against the haters that go to my church. My battle is not against the, the other Christian brothers and sisters out there in other churches that got something to say about what we're doing. My battle is, is not with, oh, oh, I wish I could keep up with these people on Facebook that I think are doing greater things than me. My battle is against the devil and his demons and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's what my battle is against. And I've got to be careful I've got to be careful to know that there is a real enemy. Spiritual warfare 101, there's a real war. Spiritual warfare 101, there is a real residence, and there's a real rival. Spiritual warfare 101, <laughs> again, spiritual warfare is one in the final round, friends. Matthew 24, 13 says, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Don't be deceived. Just because you are saved, just because you may even have a little bit of victory underneath your belt, does not mean that the enemy will stop fighting you. A lot of times we think, well, when is the enemy going to stop fighting us? When can we get a breather? Well, God ha has times that, 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 you know, there's times of mountaintops, there's times of valleys. But <laughs> when you're on this world, when, you, when you're, we're an alien passing through, there's going to be many battles that you're going to fight. And the most important is the last one, friends. we got to win the final round. See, Jesus won it all. But we got to be in Jesus and remain in Jesus for us to win it all. See, the enemy 
is always looking for an opportune time to fight you. Jesus went into the desert after being baptized, and in Luke 4, it says, you know, it talks about how he defeated the devil with the word of God. And it says, when the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left until an opportune time. Friends, I want to break down to you what it means. The enemy is looking for an opportune time in your life. I want to break down four, and there's more. But again, this is, this is spiritual warfare 101. We don't have time for the more. We're going to give you the basic ones. An opportune time that the enemy will attack you is immediately after a great victory. That's why most pastors hate Mondays. <laughs> immediately after a great victory, there's a battle. Man, after red, white, and boom, I can't tell you how many, how many things was going on. I'm like, oh, my goodness, devil, you was mad about that. Mm-hmm. After a great victory, the attack comes. This is an opportune time. Why? You know, I think it's because we're a little bit less dependent on God because we feel a little good about ourselves. And I feel like, you know, we, we are kind of just like high in the clouds in our blessing that we let our guard down after a great victory. And so it's just an opportune time. So we got to be, we got to realize when the victory comes, we better be careful because he's coming back because he don't want us to win. So when we have a victory, he's already planning what we call the counter attack. He's already thinking, all right, they won this one, but I got them coming. And we're so excited that we had a victory that we let our guard down and then boom, sometimes it's the worst battle. So it's an opportune time. Number two, another opportune time is immediately before a great victory. A lot of times it's after. Sometimes it's before. I talked to Jonas last week, and, and um, we had a meeting. I can't remember. I think it was Wednesday, I think. <laughs> no, it was Friday before he preached. And uh, I was talking to him, and, you know, this was only his second time preaching. I'm like, how's it going? Are, are you in, you know, how's the preparation time? And he did a great job last week, didn't he? I, I, I'm I'm super proud of him. He's definitely got a gift there. And so he said, man, it's been hard. He's like, I like to get up and do it, but the preparation, there's such a, it just is so heavy. And, and I'm, yeah, because the enemy wants to attack you before you give God's word. He wants to trip you out, trip you up. And friends, it's, it's with that, whatever. I remember when Josh and I, right before we got married, like in the engagement time, the week before the wedding, man, it was attack after attack. I'm thinking, what the heck am I about to get myself into? The day before our wedding was like the worst day ever. Dude, we were, we were like a half hour late to our, our, our rehearsal and fought the whole way there. And I'm thinking, what in the heck am I getting into? Spiritual warfare, man. I'm telling you what. The enemy, because it was a great victory, the day of our wedding was the best day ever. But the day before was the worst day ever. That attack came right before victory because God wanted to bring us together, but the devil didn't. He knew we were going to be a power team together, and so he wanted to keep us apart. Friends, we've got to realize the attack sometimes comes after a victory. Sometimes it comes right before the victory. Right before we experience some great of our greatest blessings, Satan works overtime to derail our trains of blessings immediately before they get to the station. Opportune time number three. Hoo-wee, and women especially, but men too. There's a lot of moody men nowadays. Man trumps. Lord have mercy. I never knew this because I, I didn't really see it so much with the older uh, generation, but I would say Generation X and millennials, 
a lot more moody than the men that went before them. And I know you older seasoned men know that that is the truth. And anyway, but the opportune time number three, this happens to both men and women, when we are emotionally, mentally, and physically drained. Woo! When you are physically drained, they used to have an old teaching that's called hot temptation. Never be too hungry, never be too angry, never be too lonely, and never be too tired. Hot temptation. When you are physically, emotionally, and mentally drained, the enemy is an opportune time for him to attack. Lack of sleep, long hours at work, mental stress, uh, the time of the month, all these things. <laughs> Sorry, man. Just had to throw that out there for the ladies and for you if you're married to them. Got to know. All those things, man, sets up the enemy an opportune time to attack. He's like, oh, yeah, I know when to come. Her emotions all over the place, all crazy already. I'm just going to insert my little lies and deception right there. All right? And then opportune time number four is when we leave an open door for the enemy through disobedience. Ephesians 4.27 says, and do not give the devil an opportunity. In that context, it's talking about do not let the sun go down on your anger. Anger, under, uh, the Bible says that the man's anger does not produce the righteous life that God desires, friends. We've got to be careful. Are there any open doors in your life that the enemy can find his way into your mind and emotions? We must shut every single door. See, three key, and I'm going to close with this. Three keys need to close and lock every single door. So the enemy will not have an entry point into our life are these three things, and you've got to get them down for spiritual warfare. Number one, prayer. Victory in spiritual warfare is inseparable from prayer. Weak in prayer, weak everywhere. Leonard Ravenhill, old revivalist, said that. Friends, we've got to pray. Prayer is it's like dropping spiritual bombs on it's like the ear is the ear, you know, in a, in a war, you know, you got the ground truth and then you got the, you got the air force. It's like the air force prayer. And you know, that is the best way to defeat, you know, an army. You sit in those jets and they're dropping those bombs. Friends, that's what prayer is. It's we're calling up to God and he's dropping bombs on the enemy. We've got to have prayer if we want to beat uh, spiritual warfare. And we've got to have pr prayer. It's a key that locks and closes any open door in our life. Another thing, another key that locks and closes uh, any open door in our life so the enemy doesn't have any entry point is obedience. Man, obedience is so true. And I, I don't, I'm not going to go here long because we're going to be talking about righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness and right living, and we're going to get into obedience there. But I want you to know that if you love me, you will obey my commands. John uh, 14, 15, this is what he says. If you love me, it's not out of duty, it's out of love. If you love him, you obey his commands. Obedience closes the door to the enemy. Disobedience, friends, opens the door to the enemy, and it usually gets him a foothold. And then deceptions and lies come, and he sets up these things in our mind, and we, and we can fall into, trap, into his trap. So prayer, obedience, they're keys. Number three, authority. We've got to realize the authority in Christ. Luke 10, 19 says, I have given, and this is Jesus, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. We need to learn to declare our victory. Jesus gave us everything we need for a life and godliness. The war is not over until the final round, friends. Victory needs to be there. Would you stand to your feet with me?